everyone, and welcome to Hype A, a podcast amplifying voices in the arts around the world, making the arts accessible for all people. We will be hearing guests from the film, art, music industries, and more, sharing their stories, failures, and successes. We will be listening in on their new endeavors, projects, and take notes on their tips and tricks, how they broke into the industry, hear their words of wisdom. Over the years, I've met some amazing people who have really enriched my life and my art practice, and I'm so grateful to have met them around the world. I hope to share with you my personal experiences, but mainly support you by introducing you to inspirational leaders in their creative field. If you're looking to fulfill a dream in the arts, need that extra motivation, or simply be inspired, you've come to the right place. So get access, get tuned in and turned on every Thursday. Welcome to Hype A. I hope you're loving Hype. Please do let us know on Hype Voices on Instagram. We really appreciate the feedback. And if you would like to sponsor us and produce ads, you know where to find us. Okay, so our next guest is Adelaide Damoa for episode nine. Adelaide is British of Ghanaian descent and is based in the UK. She is a mythopoetic performance artist. She is known to use her body as a living paintbrush. The themes of her work include human existence, in particular life cycles and ancestral life, the subjective self and the objective self, as well as memory, identity and iconography. Her titled works and performances are Into the Mind of the Colonies, Reembodying the Real, Black Lipstick, Supermodels and This is us. Adelaide has been featured on CNN for Around Africa, interviewed by Aesthetica magazine, has her own Wikipedia page, and she is a founding member of BBFA, Black British Female Artists Collective. Adelaide is known to subvert Eve Klein's Anthropometrie de l'époque bleue series, and is influenced by Judy Chicago, David Hammonds, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Frida Kahlo, and Rachel Ehrer, among others. She uses black and gold in her palette, explaining that black and gold have been used both for aesthetic and metaphorical reasons. Black is evoking skin colour, but also absence as a lived experience. Meanwhile, Gold is referring to Ghana's historical source of wealth, which gave its colonial name, Gold Coast. Before embarking in the art world, Adelaide studied applied biology at Kingston University in London and worked in the pharmaceutical industry for six years. After being diagnosed with endometriosis, she quit the industry and pursued oil painting. I'm very delighted to invite Adelaide here on episode nine on High Pay as our guest. Welcome, Adelaide. Hello, and how are you doing? Uh, thank you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. And um, I, again, I'm so delighted and I'm really honoured to have you here as our guest. I feel like you have a lot to say and I'm just, I just want to get into the meat of it, to be honest. Um, 
what are you working on at the moment? Uh, so at the moment, um, I am just starting the research process for um, phase two of my colonizer project after just having finished uh, um, the my current solo exhibition. Well, it's still on, it's until the end of July, but having just finished, you know, making that project a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, so it's I'm now going into into the real meat of the research for that project, which has been kind of on the back burner for the last couple of years. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. Amazing. And I've seen that you were in Paris, I believe. Is that where your show is currently on at the moment? Yes. So um, that's on at uh, a small institution called Fondation Ash of uh, Foundation H, which is right in the heart. Paris in uh, Le Marais. Very nice. I love that district. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Um, and what does your work comprise of for the solo show in Paris at the moment in Le Marais? So this show really took uh, a, a bit of a break from the, the work that I usually produce in that mm -hmm. um, I was really focused on desire and female desire uh, and um, through the conduit of using my body and uh, and really focusing on colour and process as opposed to some of the very heavy topics that I have previously discussed and, and my main themes are really colonialism and feminism um, with some spirituality as well but um, yeah so this this was really a way of me giving myself a break from mm -hmm. all heavy stuff which I have really been um, very much into since uh, I would say probably 2015-16 and I really started to focus very heavily on um, colonialism and feminism um, as a main thing and that kind of came about because uh, everyone was forced to take a pause in 2020 as we all know right. and um, and that pause kind of um, started with me really um, really exploring colour and process just for the sake of colour and process, just for the sake of it, of, of the pure enjoyment of really bright um, colour, really bright, delicious colours. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I found that that gave me, my brain and my body, a bit of a break, mm -hmm. uh, a well-needed break. Um, both from the from the kind of burden of of producing the work that I was producing before, which I didn't realise was a burden until I took a break from it, yeah. um, and and I I kind of felt a sense of deep rest and relief from from engaging in that kind of way, um, and then it it moved into a space where uh, I. I was really writing a lot of poetry and exploring my own desires. Um, and, and somehow those things really married up very well with the work that I was producing. Mm -hmm. So it ended up with this, this larger body of work called Radical Joy, which um, ended up being split into four chapters quite by accident because uh, by the time I got to the to the end of the production of that work, because I had a deadline for the show in, in Germany with Sakile and me, I realized that there were four distinct bodies of work within that entire body. Um, mm. And they were quite different from one another. And mm. uh, so I split them into chapters. 
and Mysteries of Desire is one of those chapters, which I then expanded for the show with Fondacion Elsh. Amazing. Um, and, you know, you, you, you briefly talked about spirituality and, you know, I, I'm a mystic myself. Um, I won't say as well, because I feel like you are as well, to be honest. Um, you know, the channeling aspect of your work and your body, using the body as a tool, as a paintbrush, um, it's exhausting, <laughs> you know, um, how, how did it come about? I mean, I know that maybe for you, it's just something so innate and maybe natural, but how could you explain to someone or even just expand on that? Like how that process of using the physical body as a tool to, to produce and express through painting? Yeah, it's, it's kind of thing that, it's kind of thing that happened, um, in a very organic way, uh, organic and unexpected, um, because prior to 2015, um, I was trying to be a figurative painter from, say, 2005 to 2015, so for 10 years, that's what I was doing. And, um, and then I had a really intense conversation with another artist, that's Rachel Ara, um, mm. uh, because I, I'm self-taught completely. And I suppose those 10 years, I would say, were my own kind of self-taught University of Adelaide. <laughs> Where, yeah. um, I, I was really kind of trying to discover who I was as an artist and discover my voice um, through studying other artists and through just making work and doing shows and, and talking to other artists. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd asked her to, to critique a show that I had done um, and she came into my studio and she looked at work and she told me that she didn't think that the work was successful. She didn't think mm. it was really saying what I wanted it to say. And mm -hmm. she had the thing that I was feeling frustrated. Um, and I was, and that was the reason why I asked to work. Um, and so she, through that critique, brought, forced me to re-examine everything that I was doing and to really, um, stop thinking about what I was doing and just get in the studio and play. And that's exactly yeah. what I, did. I just got in the studio and I played and I threw around and I pretended I was Jackson Pollock, and, you know. Um, and then uh, that combined with a lot of deep research um, as I started to get into it, I just kind of fell upon using my body to make shapes. Um, mm -hmm. Um, and then started incorporating other imagery of family and, um, and, and bringing in these kind of ancestral images as well. And it just made sense. And uh, in the process of, of doing the body printing also, it, and I, it felt very performative. And I knew that I had to do some kind of performance out of it. And obviously Eve Klein was the, the first go-to uh, in terms of, of using the body in that way. And, and then I discovered this, this feminist response or this feminist critique of, of that particular um, anthropometry's work. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in agreement with it because I couldn't, understand, I couldn't put my finger on why I was feeling so uncomfortable with watching that performance. Um, and so then it became important to me to, to do my own response. And that's how uh, This Is Media and Consistency of the Self was born. And it's just mm -hmm. great there. So um, 
uh, in the Into the Mind of the Colonizer performance, for example, I'm still using that same technique, but in a very different way. I'm using my voice and also referencing Yoko Ono's 1960 cut piece. Um, mm -hmm really speak about violence against uh, the African African colonies as opposed to um, and violence against the African body as opposed to violence against the female body um, per se as Yoko Ono was speaking to. so um, yeah and it's just expanded out from there um, to the point where now I I I feel sort of empowered to use my body in all sorts of ways to discuss all sorts of things that are important to me um, and uh, and it's been a very interesting and exciting journey and also aside from that is the fact that uh, I came to art because of having this chronic medical condition called endometriosis which uh, can be debilitating and so the use of my body in the way that I, I do in some of the work and you know it's it doesn't span across all of my work, but there are threads of it with some of the other work I do as well. So using my body in the way that I do is, is, is also, uh, it's, it's also a, a sort of reclamation of the power of, of the body, mm -hmm. yep. power of myself and my own strength um, in spite of and, and, and sometimes even because of that condition. It's it's interesting what you're talking about. There's um there's a lot of points, uh, let's say uh, points to leap off from with the topics that you've mentioned, like the performative, the female, the body, um, color as well, and also um, endometriosis endometriosis as well which for those of you who don't know it starts within the womb and it's the lining on the tissue of the womb I believe um and it's interesting because the womb is the is the physical area where life starts doesn't it um and it's uh, it's a vessel for creation and you yourself are a creatrix you know a create a creative individual you are a woman as well and it's very fascinating how these things are tied with what you you are exactly um what you do and um in terms of like the political aspect as well with what you mentioned about Eve Klein I keep wanting to say Eve Sanar but it's not Eve Sanar it's Eve Klein and <laughs> uh, guys I know who, I know who Eve Klein is okay <laughs> just <laughs> I make mistakes too on her pay um but yeah, it's interesting how he used the female body um, in order to create an image of what he wanted to create, which can also be a bit voyeuristic, let's be honest, and also voyeuristic for the audience. And then the, the female body being a tool as well. Is it treated with respect? Is it not? Like these questions kind of come up. Um, but yeah, what about the performative aspect in your work, and how do you how do you feel about that? Um, with being a female as well, and you know, with the points of discussion that I've already kind of like um, started off with just now with feminism, how do you feel about that? What do you mean? The performative, like the performative aspect of your work, and being a woman you know, mm -hmm. and the idea of um, 
the idea of voyeurism or the idea of because what I'm trying to say is like or what I'm trying to understand is are you reclaiming the feminine are you reclaiming the feminine body are you reclaiming the feminine are you reclaiming that as well as your own feminine body or are you reclaiming the power of your own body in response to or against the masculine yeah. I think all of those things, I, I, I don't necessarily think against the masculine, um, but I think that um, for me, there is, there is an inherent power in performance, um, regardless of, of the particular body who's doing the performance um, or the particular gender of who is doing the performance. Um, the act of performance in and of itself is a powerful way of communicating ideas um, to an audience and encouraging um, dialogue into subjectivity and, and hence uh, empathy. And it's a very powerful conduit to um, encourage the raising of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're if you are if you're able to to successfully do that in the performance, if you're able to successfully raise the consciousness of the people who are engaging with the performance, um, then in some kind of way, directly or indirectly, you can change people's minds about something, mm -hmm. which I think is a very powerful mm -hmm. thing. And I've witnessed it happen um, with my own performance. I've witnessed the emotion that can be um that can be garnered from directly engaging with or just watching a performance that has something to say mm -hmm. so um yeah so I, I i i don't know that i necessarily see it as a, as as a, rec a reclamation to me it's a powerful way for me to communicate my ideas mm -hmm. um and it's a very important part of my practice. Uh, and in terms of the voyeuristic side of things, then, I mean, yeah, of, of course, the, the mere act of watching a performance is voyeuristic yeah. and that avoided. Um, and uh, I don't know if you see it as a negative or a positive, but whatever it is, I think that that, I'm willing to pay that price. That's that that the, that's the opportunity cost of mm -hmm. of my ideas to audiences, and that's fine. Um, the interesting element of your work regarding um, regarding ancestral ancestral life and you using images um, is it from your own ancestry or ancestral line, um, as well as channeling through the body and painting and having an audience with from where you can act let's say when we talk about um jackson pollock and, and abstraction as well it's 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 generally very gestural and performative isn't it? there's a lot of energy and movement um i wonder if you are tapped into a particular ancestor or do you listen or do you hear certain voices when you do channel um, in certain performances? 
I'm really kind of gassed that you asked me that question because nobody, nobody goes there. Nobody goes there. Um, and yes, is the answer. So I, I have, I have a, um, a routine, a kind of more like a ritual that I go through before every performance that I do. And that ritual involves fasting for at least 24 hours. It can be up to 48 hours as well, depending on my mood and what's happening. Um, and the, the fasting, um, at, for, for me allows me to be more focused um, mm -hmm. and um, and it, it kind of gathers a certain energy as well that's difficult to explain unless you've done that before yeah and, uh, and aside from that before I go into any performance I sit and I meditate and I meditate upon a specific ancestor who mm -hmm. is um, my great-grandmother mm -hmm. and her name her name is uh, Amma. Amma and so Beautiful. that is my maternal grandmother, uh, my maternal great grandmother. So, um, and obviously, I never knew her. My mom never even knew her because she died when my grandma was quite young. And my grandmother, I'm named after her. And mm -hmm. I, I meditate on her not because I know anything about her specifically, but because mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with a photo that I found of her. Oh, and wow. so, this this photo was taken in 1920 in what it was then British Gold Coast, what's now Ghana. Yeah. And um, the photo is of my great-grandmother holding my grandmother as a baby. And what's mm -hmm. fascinating about this photo is that it is, uh, uh, she, she looks like a really strong woman. She was very tall. She was over six feet tall. And, mm -hmm. and but the image itself kind of conjures up almost this, this romanticized um, religious image iconography that we have of a mother and child or yeah Mary, yeah these kind of things and um mm -hmm. and a, another thing that fascinates me about it is the fact that biologically speaking uh, we're as women we're born with all the eggs that we're ever going to have in our life mm -hmm. just there in the womb right uh, i mean in the in the ovaries and so looking at this image of my grandmother of a baby i know that the, the germ of my mother exists within her um, and therefore the germ of me and my sisters and the germ of all of the children that my grandmother produced and she, she had 10 children. So to me, that's really powerful and interesting. And, um, and so I, I, I like to think of her as a very powerful kind of warrior woman. And, um, and so to tap into that creative energy in a in a in a um in a creative way because I don't actually know anything about her so it is yeah. it act of creation mm -hmm. and and um in so doing I kind of mythologize her and uh, I have mythologized her repeatedly in my work because I've used her in an obsessive way in a lot of work so there's a, a giant piece called the rebirth of Amma where that image is used over and over and over again and in other works as well, where her image is repeatedly in cyanotypes and things. So I've lost count of times her image has been replicated um, in, an, in an attempt to try and connect with, with that energy. And mm. uh, there's another performance where I have literally called upon her and other ancestors in, um, in a, a, a ritualistic process, which is uh, we enact as as Ghanaians, uh, um, anytime there is uh, a gathering, an event, the um, the elder in, at the 
event. So say it could be a funeral or it could be, a, um, and this doesn't happen all of the time, but certainly mm -hmm. with, um, within my family, um, the, at the beginning of the event, the, the, the elder um, who is kind of running things will, will pour um, libations and call on the ancestors to help the event to run smoothly. Yeah. Um, so that as a part of a performance that I, I did in 2020 was really important to me. Mm -hmm. And and I do that in my own way before every single performance. And but I'm specifically calling on her. Yeah, interesting. Um, again, like this totally makes sense to me because I'm a shamana as well, and I conduct shamanic healing um services and ceremonies um under the name of abstract medicine i have got private clients and <clears throat> um interestingly on my side i'm south american italian and my mainly it's my maternal side my mum's side we were all healers interesting um and i myself also well i hadn't met my grandmother um but i know she works through me when i channel and give service um, and it's definitely one thing that we do as well, um, where we call in the ancestors for guidance and support and protection. Um, so that's beautiful. I love, I love hearing that. Um, and, you know, and also as an artist myself with my work being so spiritual and with the abstract world being told many, many times over, which now is changing, thank God, um, that it's not spiritual, it's transformative, it's transcendental, it's transitional or whatever. Like I love hearing that about you and your heritage. And um, it seems like there's more of a connection with who you are, what you represent and also expressing that and not being afraid to share that even here on, on the podcast. Um, because I think there is a bit of a taboo still about that, particularly in the Western world, let's be honest, in the Western world, it's this sort of taboo. Um, an abstraction, the abstract world is hit, you know, like Robert Motherwell and Helen Frankenthaler um, being influenced by the Tao, the Asian spirituality. But yeah, it's just so cool. And also I was thinking about you having studied applied biology and biology being the study of life right uh, and I can't help but think that this is all seeming to be orchestrating in the right way for you in your life I feel like from what I'm hearing and feeling from you is that you're literally in your purpose you're in your divine purpose um but yeah so oh uh, god I don't know yeah the, the other thing I would love to talk to you about if you're comfortable with um being a person of color in the art world a uh, difficult topic or an uncomfortable topic for some or for many um, is the idea of tokenism. Okay. Um, would you like to go down that rabbit hole with me? <laughs> I do. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. Um, what are your thoughts on tokenism um, in the art world, generally speaking, or what are your experiences of, of it, if you've had it, um, or your observations of it? if you've seen it from another point of view? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that 
has been going on since, I, I, I mean, I would say like, if you look at the 90s and um, supermodels, for example, as an example, um, and you had, there could only be one, right? Mm. You had Naomi Campbell and, and, um, and, and there wasn't space for anyone else. And, and it's like a, a thing of, um, well, you can't say that there are no black people or, or black women in the modeling industry, because look at Naomi Campbell and look how amazing she is. Look how, she, how much she's achieved. And yes, she's beautiful and this, that and the other. And you should be satisfied with that. And um, I mean, I, I have been around the art world. Well, I suppose I would say technically really more deeply involved in the art world probably since around 2014, 15. Um, before then I was more of an outsider observing from the outside. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's, it's felt like when I first stepped into the space, it felt very, very white space. And it still does feel like that, right? Mm -hmm. However, um, it does feel like things are changing. Um, but I always say um, to that, although it appears that things are changing, if you look a bit closer and you look at the actual statistics, numbers yeah. don't. And um, the thing that I think that a lot of us are tempted to do because maybe we're optimistic and we, and we want to believe that that change is, the change is real, um, mm -hmm. is that the, the, the media, the way that, that artists are, of color are spoken about, um, it's like there's this big wave of yeah. change happening. Um, and there is a danger of um there's a there's a danger of of believing the hype and and this and believing the superstar effect and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that there may be a few people who are instead of there being one or two there'll mm -hmm. be a few people who are really really hyped so then it looks like things are so much better for everybody else but are they really are yeah. they really question um so but what I find encouraging about the times that we're living in now uh, is is that that we're not afraid to have these conversations openly and publicly now we're not afraid to call out institutions um we're not afraid to call out even collectors um mm -hmm. and, and and so as a consequence of that people's eyes are constantly being forced to remain open uh, I, and I, I don't think it's possible to go back to being blind again and to mm. go back ending like nothing is wrong um, and that people aren't being represented uh, mm. in, the, um, uh, in, the, in the major institutions um, and in the major galleries, for example. Um, yeah, so I, I, do, I do remain optimistic um, mm -hmm. that thing but I, I think that in, instead of it being specifically tokenism because for me tokenism feels like that that whole there can be one there can only be one phenomenon right like mm. uh, um 
like as if this is the, the Highlander or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but instead of there can be only one, it's like uh, there, there, are, there are a few. And th- another thing that I want to add to that is, um, is, is also the, the conversation about age, because- um, Big one, big. Yeah, because, because when we want to talk about the conversation with, with regards to women artists, for example- 100%. Which is a thing. Um, and, and, and you look at the Freelands report, which specifically focuses on this conversation around women in the art world and how women are represented in the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, and want to say that things are changing because more and more women are being pushed to the forefront. Um, I find that's what's happening when you look a little bit closer is that a lot of really young women who are just coming out of university have been hyped up, hyped up, um, to the extent that it that so much attention is focused on them that women who are, uh, say, from 35 to um, 55, for example, are, mm-hmm. are being left entirely, I would even say late 50s, have been entirely left out of the conversation. Um, yeah. If you want to look at the Black Arts Movement, then people like Sonia Boyce and Rubaina Hamid and that whole generation from the 80s are finally getting their flowers, right? Um, and, um, and, and then the, the younger generation who are 20, 20-something to 30-something are really, really being hyped. And those who are kind of in the middle are, are, are not being hyped in the same way because they're not young and sexy enough and they haven't been around to get the, the flowers of the older generation. So I, I feel like that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a real danger of, of those women being, being completely left out um, if that demographic isn't addressed in the same, in the same way. Definitely. I mean, I, yeah, that's this, I just, I just love hearing what you're saying. Like, I just feel like you can just take over this episode to be honest. I don't even need to like ask questions or anything, but I just, I feel what you're saying. And I feel like myself with that, in that age group, age bracket being 38, um, I wonder about, I wonder, you know, I, I've, I've made certain, let's say sacrifices. I wouldn't say that choices um, where I've put my career first and forefront um, and then my personal life pretty much second now that I would like to have children, um, this is something that's now in my forefront. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what it will be like when I do have children and I'm also working as an artist. And these are things that Judy Chicago, which I know you're inspired by her and I am too as well, um, spoke about and she was educating so many people um, back at CalArts um, is that basically, you know, you were either an artist or you were either a housewife and you couldn't be both or you were a groupie (laughs) ready to take your knickers down and you know like have fun with the bandmates like you weren't seen as a as a viable uh career woman and I just wonder how that's going to be changing but I feel myself I feel like I feel a bit of that weight of responsibility I'll be honest with you where I feel like I need to represent not only myself my 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 ethos, my standards as well, as well as so many people um, behind me, before me as well. 
And again, there's that a spiritual element too, where I'm respecting like all time and space, you know, um, and the sacrifices or let's say the choices that people before me, particularly women before me in my own ancestral line and in the mentorship of abstract expressionism line as well um, have made. One in particular individual, which I, who I love a lot um, is Helen Frankenthaler purely because of her boisterousness and also because she was married to a very famous artist, philosopher, Robert Motherwell, but she was always known as I'm an artist, you know, um, not the wife of. And I feel like it's that kind of attitude, just like the attitude of Judy Chicago as well, just kind of shaking up the waters a bit and allowing people to see that it's not just a hype and then burnout and then, you know, what's the next big thing? What's the next big trend? And I know that there are many changes in the collective consciousness right now, particularly with um, sexual identity, him, she, they, um, LGBTQ+, um, you know, and, and then there's also a discussion about feminism it's itself, maybe also being or becoming passe, which is uh, problematic um, as well. But anyway, aside that, um, we're just doing our best, right? <laughs> We're doing the best. We're doing the best that we can. Um, yeah. Did you want to expand on that a little bit more, or no? I mean, I'm. Yeah, good. A, I'm just here clapping. Um, yeah. I think the 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 women and children thing is a is, is is a big one. And actually, in the most recent Freelands report, they do address that, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Right at the end of it, she um, the uh, there's a there's there's a particular piece. I can't remember the the author, there's a particular piece um, in that report, an essay, where at the end of the essay, she speaks specifically to this question of motherhood and being an artist. Um, and, and, um, and she was saying that she feels optimistic about the future, um, just because there was, there were so many um, female uh, women artists right now who are having children and still doing it and doing it really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, that's an interesting thing for me. I don't have children. I'm probably not gonna have any children, but um, um, a friend of mine, Jasmine, Jasmine Pradesito, who mm -hmm. is an amazing artist and um, she's managed to raise, uh, he's 24 now, 24 year old, um, mm -hmm. and make her, her work. It is possible, it's just, and unless you have a very supportive partner, it's, it, it will, be difficult and even if you do have a supportive partner it, yeah. it can it would probably present challenges but that doesn't mean that it's it's not possible but I I do think that um, more conversations are being had at the moment um, around um, providing more support for women artists who yeah. are their mothers um, and in terms of childcare and in terms of flexible working and things like that um, so I, th I think that it's really important for, for, for us as women to speak out collectively about what we need, to ask mm -hmm. for what we need from whoever it is that we're working for and to insist actually that yeah. my conditions, um, you know, I have a child, I, I have mm -hmm. somebody to care for, so I, I need that support, whether that's in terms of flexible hours or mm -hmm. um, uh, help with childcare or some kind mm -hmm. of support care when it comes to I don't know installing shows or whatever the thing is um, so um, yeah I, I do feel like we're in a time when um, <clears throat> when 
we're not afraid to talk about these things anymore and we're not afraid to ask. Um, and in fact, demand, actually. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And I think I think there's another element of that in terms of uh, taking up space, I think is important. I mean, you probably have seen on my social media, I'm kind of unapologetic on there. Um, <laughs> I have I have a I'll be honest, you know, and I most people know this. I have a persona on online, which is my most Colombian Italian self. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what about social media and the performative in your work? Do they play the same element or do they seem to play the same part as you do in your performance uh, with, a, with a, let's say, a, a, more, a, different, a different demographic, um, a more academic or artistic demographic? Or do you still sort of have basically the same audience that you do in your private performances or your sort of, let's say public art performances online and or and if if not I don't know I can't really I don't really know what exactly I'm asking but um yeah help me out here <laughs> um I think it's it's kind of difficult to it's difficult to know um I, I think what you're asking is if there's any crossover in terms of my um, the audiences who engage with my performances and the audiences who are um, following me on social media. And I, yeah. I think I cross over because I, I have a mailing list as well. So yeah. I, there, are, there are crossover in all of those places. So there are people on my mailing list who have never seen my work in real life, have never seen my performances in real life, um, mm. but um, who do a very active with me if I send out a newsletter they'll respond and they're very supportive then there are other people who are on all of my social media as well mm -hmm. as my and will come to performances as well and then everything in between so um, mm -hmm. it's a difficult one to pin down in terms of an answer um, to that question um, but I feel like social media has been um, it's, it's kind of democratized the way in, in which artists engage with their audiences. Mm -hmm. And what we have now are tools at our fingertips that we didn't have. I mean, how long yeah. has Instagram been around? It's, it's not even what, since 2012 or 13 or something? Yeah, I remember, what? yeah, 2013, yeah. yeah. Yes, so I remember when uh, Instagram started and and a lot of artists were snubbing it, myself included, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then all the Everybody got on there and, and it became this, this thing that is, is now to the extent that hardly anyone even carries business cards anymore because it's yeah. what's your um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really useful, very powerful tool. Um, prior to um, 2013, I was mainly using Facebook and Twitter. And yeah. before, I mean, I, I, I came into the space when it was all about MySpace. MySpace, I remember I was on MySpace. That was my yeah. first website. <laughs> Um, and and I was inviting people to my shows through MySpace and Facebook, um, and okay. and and so yeah. I, I and before then, I think my first show in two thousand and five, I had physical invitation cards that I sent to people. And again, that long ago, if you think about it, in a, in, a, in terms of a stretch of time, so mm -hmm. got these really powerful tools up fingertips that we can use quite um I wouldn't say easily because it's not that easy to build a big audience but 
um, it's getting easier um, yeah. and easier now than it's ever been in the history of the world to get in touch with people who are interested in your work and really push yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, but with all of that being said, I feel like um, there is nothing like real life interaction with artwork. And yeah. specifically with the kind of work that I made, there are nuances that you see in the work in person that's impossible to see on social media. Um, and image on social media. And even if I post a video of an artwork, you're mm -hmm. still not going to understand fully what's going on until, unless you see it with your own eyes. And even in some cases, smell it. And Yeah, exactly. And feel it, feel the energy of the room, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's... Uh, it, yeah, sorry. Business, I, I still don't think that you, it's still... I, I still don't think that the digital is able to capture the essence of being with an artwork in your life, but it is hugely useful. Definitely, and I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, essence. And I think it's, that's, for me, from my understanding of your work and having listened to you as well during the pandemic on Clubhouse, while I was painting in my studio, listening to your, <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's how I consider you and your work is it's it's the essence of it. And essence is so, it's so abstract, you know, it's so intangible. You can't like, you know when it's true. Um, and I think that that's where social media is an interesting, interesting thing because it very often does not proclaim or does not share and, um, even promote um, pure authenticity. Let's just put it like that in the most diplomatic way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting how social media, particularly Instagram, how I've seen it change. And I was, I think, it was one of the first people on Insta, like on two, 2013, 2014. Um, and I've seen it change where it used to be a platform for artists and photographers and now it's just now just a platform for businesses to, to make money and that's not to say that art isn't a business art is a business by the way artists are business people um and um but yeah I think it's it's just becoming such a like one one minute hit drug let's say that you can just get that dopamine hit as we all know from the social experiment whatever that documentary was called um, about Facebook. There's also another one on the BBC about Instagram as well. You know, for good, bad or ugly, I think that in my belief, creatives still need to use it for the time being until something else better comes along, something better comes along for us. Um, but what I've also noticed from my demographic over the last year and a half, is as I've been reclaiming my body more so um, as a woman and a victim of sexual assault, it's particularly on the rise of the Me Too movement as well. I'm just kind of, again, unapologetic on my social media posts. So it's my body. I will be either nude or naked or in a bikini or dressed however I wish to be dressed because it's also my platform, let's say it's my, it's my handle, it's my platform. And as far as I, I consider myself 
it's it's my rules and if you don't like what you see then you can just leave um i've noticed that my democrat my, my demographic have been mainly males um thinking that possibly um they're more focused on the physical element of myself my aesthetic physical aesthetic rather than my academic self the theory the theme behind my work which I find very very frustrating and another reason why I've set up this podcast as well um, to have these discussions because you know you can be everything and you can be you can be all things but you can't be all things to all people and I think there are certain demands I would say on social media particularly on Instagram that I don't feel fully they just don't fully encapsulate who I am and um when we have these discussions online what happens is um trolls trolling hate hacking you know like all these kind of things that I've personally experienced I misunderstood um and it's really uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable and um anyway like platforms like clubhouse i've found really really supportive during the pandemic um and also listening to other podcasts as well um have you thought about or have you already taught at a university level have you been mentoring at all and have you been talking about these topics if so um yeah i've 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 guest lectured in a few places and um but most of the time when it's uh guest lecturing um, they generally want me to speak about a specific body of work um, or to kind of mentor in, in terms of um, giving feedback about artwork um, and things like yeah. that, specifically speaking to these topics, um, unless it's, unless it's it, it happens to coincide with the, the body of work. Like Radical Joy, I did a, um, I did a talk for a university and... Um, um, because some of the some of the themes in there relate to um, uh, authenticity, I suppose. Then, then well, we didn't go to, down the lines of social media, but um, more in terms of personal authenticity through the conduit of um, um, of the essay, the uses of the erotic, the erotic as power by Audre Lorde. Mm-hmm. Um, where, because I've used that essay, I mean, I've read that essay, I've lost count on the amount of times I've read that essay, but that essay is like a real, it's really kind of at the core of, of that whole body of work. So um, in that, um, we was kind of speaking to those themes in terms of being your authentic self, but it, it didn't go down the line of social media. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um... I think it's interesting with social media, particularly Instagram, where there are lots of, and even TikTok, um, Insta-famous artists now, it's becoming very fashionable. Um, And I think that when someone sees a post on social media, um, it's very easy to copy and compare as well. I've noticed a lot of copying of my own personal work on Instagram. Um, and I've been encouraged to by my my gallerist Serena Dunn at Grove Gallery to basically not worry about that because the person who collects my work or the people that collect my work know the genuine article 
and they can see the difference of that superficiality you know you just know it and I I'm, I don't know if you listened to one of the episodes that I had on Hype with Gita Joshi and she spoke about that you know it's people sort of just know when it's just not genuine mm-hmm. um, and she spoke about artists as well literally cap- copying captions from other artists on Instagram wow um yeah and like she's she mentors artists like how to stay steadfast in their career and how to be let's say quote-unquote successful financially speaking as artists yeah and she spoke about that um which I thought was quite interesting but just um going on to a slightly different topic you have Ghanaian roots do you um exhibit your work in Ghana at all have you exhibited your work in Ghana at all or would you like to if you haven't um yeah we did I so with the BBFA collective we did a project mm-hmm. in 17 um in Ghana with the uh Nubuku Foundation Nubuke Foundation and mm-hmm. um Nubuke is 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 kind of at the core of um uh the Ghana art scene the Accra art scene specifically and um, so really privileged to have um uh we did a, a big installation um I did a performance with a, another artist called Samira Saidi and um, and that was a really beautiful experience and really nice to have family. My mum came, cousins came, you know, to um, to experience that whole uh, thing in Ghana. Um, mm-hmm. And I there again. You know, it's just whether when the opportunity presents itself, I'll be there. Yeah, and, but yeah, I'm always there. So. so. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel do you feel the desire to um, exhibit there so as much as you are in Europe or or is it just not something that you're currently thinking about? Um, it is something that I'm thinking about, and and that is because specifically with this colonizer project, um, mm-hmm. once once I get it to the point of completion where I would like to tour it, one of the places that I would like to tour it is Ghana. Um, so and 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 other African countries as well, yeah. but African countries who were colonized by the British, definitely. I think it's relevant to tour mm-hmm. it in the but that would be down to funding. Um, if you were big multi-billion dollar question, if you were asked to have your work in a collection at the Tate, for example, um in the UK so there's Tate London Tate Tate Britain and Tate Liverpool and Tate St Ives um would you take it if the Tate was gonna buy my artwork or yes um because and I I I think I understand where your your kind of question is coming from but for me there is um in thinking about the, the the trajectory of your career, and and for me, I'm I'm very strategic the way that I think about my career trajectory. You, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it in terms of a, a 360 approach, um, specifically in relation to the world that we exist in, right? Mm-hmm. It, survive and exist, and 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 really specifically to 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 be relevant to be a part of the canon, all of those things that um, if you are living in this context and you are mm-hmm. an artist, you want to have a career 
that is lasting and not only lasting in your lifetime, but lasting after you're gone in terms of legacy, mm-hmm. then have to engage with these institutions um, and, and the institutions perform a really critical part of that story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes a thing of um, um, not only becoming a part of the collection, but really engaging with them in terms of how they present the work, how they speak about the work, um, all of the things that will form a part of your legacy. And that's mm-hmm. the conversation that you would have with um, the gallery who is selling your work to said institution um, to ensure that those things are packaged in the correct way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also uh, in terms of the kind of practices of that institution, where as artists always calling out the institutions for some of the things they do. Um, um, that is employment practices, whether that is certain work, artworks being displayed in, in their restaurants, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that have been in discussion over the past couple of years that have been brought to the forefront in the last couple of years. All we can do is keep calling them out, but, yeah. and, but un- unless we're going to, unless we're going to have a conversation about dismantling the whole system and bringing it down and starting again from scratch, which is not going to happen, not in our lifetime, mm-hmm. um, then we, how do we engage with them to ensure that we maximise our, our um, success and our relevance and mm-hmm. we secure space in the canon? How do we? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's basically infiltrate, make it normal and art is for all, right? Yeah. Um, talking about success, what does success mean to you? What does it look like? <laughs> you know why? Do you know why I'm laughing? What's that? <laughs> you know why I'm laughing? Why? <laughs> this is so weird for me because I, I don't know if you know this, but I, uh, from 2011, I was doing a, a blog and then it went on to a video series. Started off being art success and went on to be called art discussion, where I was interviewing artists and curators and um, and gallery directors, and that was my last question. There you go. So, it, so it's it's kind of serendipitous being in the hot seat now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's always it's always a bit weird ask like being asked those questions. Um, <laughs> so I feel you on that. But yeah, nonetheless, go ahead. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> so, um, what does success look like to me? Um, when I think about success, I don't just think I don't I don't just think about the the material trappings of success, uh, the obvious material trappings in terms of being able to sustain oneself as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is really impo- a really important component of success. But for me, success is um, is the whole thing. It's the whole it's the whole thing, it's, it's, it's about, um, it's about me feeling um, that I am living my most authentic self within this space that mm-hmm. we are ecosystem, right? Um, while at the same time, um, having that, validation that institutional validation that allows me to be then a part of the canon um, and have that legacy such that the things that I want to say which 
I feel are, are important both for my, my personal family and cultural legacy mm-hmm. are kept after I'm gone. Yeah. That's, that to me is success. Wow, that's so profound and so beautiful at the same time. Um, yeah, I feel that too. Legacy is, is really important um, because life is, is so fleeting, really. Um, and so I normally ask my high pay guests um, three tips and tricks. What would you share as your three tips and tricks for the high pay listeners, please? What do you mean high pay listeners? The listeners on High Pay, the podcast, High Pay. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> hype listeners and hyped up listeners. Oh, do you know what I thought you said? High pay? As in <laughs> high. high. <laughs> Highly paid. Yeah. <laughs> Brain fart. Um, so three tips and tricks in terms of in terms of being an artist specifically yeah 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 okay um okay so firstly I feel like I want to go back to Audre Lorde um and uh her uses of the erotic the erotic is power and the way she speaks to being your most authentic self Um, And I feel that the reason why that is important is because anybody who engages with your artwork is gonna be able to feel if it is your most authentic work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and the only way to really connect with um, is by kind of finding your joy and finding your peace and really um, connecting with that which brings you the most joy mm-hmm. and it's kind of it sounds kind of cliche but, but one of the things that you said earlier to me was that you um you felt that I was living my purpose mm-hmm. and has only been found specific through, specifically through that mechanism mm-hmm. which is that uh, I, I don't have a book to hand, otherwise I'd read you the quote, but she says that um, that when, when you're able to find that which is, is truly you, right, and mm-hmm. connect with, um, and, and you're able to let your erotic self, as in your emotions, be your guidance, yeah, yeah. and really try to connect with that joy, that is when um, you can find your most authentic self and once you're able to do that why would you want to live any other way why would you want to create in any other way than that and and once you're able to do that then then ideas are not they're no longer difficult things you get into a flow and things just flow and it just happens so absolutely um and I think that for for me that is I've only really come to that realization relatively recently I would say probably in the last five or six years and that's through mm-hmm. finding my voice as an artist um mm-hmm. and that is through connecting with that that flow mm-hmm. um, yeah it's interesting how how your um the quote that you gave and your um physical experience as well your own womb as well 
um, you're, you've turned that negative into positive. Yes. And you've, it, um, let's say, spiritually speaking, we have uh, points in our body, they're called chakras, portals, and the sexual organ is um, the portal of home and belonging, bloodlines, which is very interesting. And then obviously the stomach area is all about joy, creativity, the ego as well. So of course we find ourselves literally in what we do and where we find home and our belonging. Exactly, exactly. So and profound. Yeah, I mean, and it's like, it's really important that you said that about the womb because like for, for me, there was a point in time when the doctors were saying I should have a hysterectomy and I refused. And I said, unless this thing is killing me, you're not taking it. Um, mm. It's because for me, no matter the amount of pain that I'm in, the, my womb is my seat of creativity. Yeah. Um, and, and it is through that pain that I have been able to be as creative as I have and been and as I continue to be. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a very personal thing for me in terms of how I find mine. Other people may find it through other means, but um, mm -hmm. for me, great starting point but in practical terms so that's like that's one giant thing like the yeah. the, 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 the the foundation of it of of um my tips um but in practical terms i would say that um uh and this is going to sound like another cliche your network is your net worth 100 your network is your net worth and and so that what that means is that um and, and there, there was a study actually relatively recently, I think it was published on Artsy or something, I can't remember, but I can dig out the article and send it to you. Yes, um, please. Where they looked at some of, the most, some of the most successful artists historically in the world. And what they discovered that was that the thing that they all had in common was not necessarily even their creativity um, or the, the level of talent that they had. Um, it, was, it was who their friends were. Right? Yeah. Um, and, um, and I say that to say, not in a cynical way, just go out and network and use people. <laughs> um, I don't mean it. For me, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. Relationships are so important. So, um, uh, a lot of the strongest relationships that I have in the art world have come through not even talking about work, not going up to yeah. someone and saying, I'm an artist and this is what I do. Please look at my stuff. Please help me. Please, um, can you do X, Y, and Z for me? No, it's about what I can, how can I be of service to you? Yes. Um, or, and uh, um, and even, even just connecting and being friends um, mm -hmm. and some point of connection through joy and that was another thing that Audre Lorde talks about actually is connecting mm -hmm. um connecting through joy and yeah. uh, and joy as a bridge to connectivity so um mm -hmm. an example of that uh some of the some of the the most profound and deep relationships that I have with artists and artists and gallery directors and curators is through partying with them all around the world <laughs> Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so partying with them at, at, at events, whether it's art fairs or, or um, biennales or whatever, um, and 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 that has come about through um, being through investing in 
myself investing in going to different places and meeting with people and connecting with them on a person to person level, not on a, you are in this position and how can you help to elevate me level, just connecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those relationships have then blossomed into um, opportunities that I could never have imagined at the beginning of that relationship. And, and another way is precisely what you're doing now, which mm-hmm. is um, developing relationships through conversations and they can be formal conversations like interviews. And that's exactly how I started in 2011. And that came from a place of necessity because in mm-hmm. 2011, I was so sick with the endo. Uh, I, yeah. couldn't, like, I couldn't get out and meet people and talk to people, but I could connect with people through my um, interviews on Skype at the time. Yeah. And interviewing with people and and making friends and some of those friends are friends I still have now um, mm. and 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 that was a thing of how can I be of service to you while at the same time learning something for myself and at the same time sharing that information with my audience and helping yes. others who may be struggling with how do I how do I do this you know what what are the ingredients of success mm-hmm. do you see if there there was so much give and take there. It wasn't from a selfish place of what can you do for me? It was what can I do for you? And, and then that just grew exponentially into something that I could never have foreseen at the mm-hmm. time. It wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I want to keep my foot in the art world. I want to learn so that when I'm, when I'm well again, I can hit the ground running and share this knowledge with other people. And that was exciting to me. Um, so that's that's tip number two. Your network is your net worth. Mm-hmm. And um, and tip number three is just consistency. Yeah, consistency. it's and important. It doesn't matter what's what's happening, what's going on. Um, even in the midst of the the pandemic, and I know that it was it was difficult for everybody. Um, but even if it's difficult to, to, even if it's it's challenging to create for whatever reason, that, whether that be through sickness or other circumstances, to try and find a way to just do something um, mm-hmm. to that consistency and that will see you through. And if you're disciplined enough to be consistent, it will pay off in dividends. Definitely. Um, gosh, yeah, absolutely agree with all of them. High pay listeners take notes um yeah if you're if you're consistent it's you know it really shows and I think people respect that as well um they also acknowledge the fact that you respect your craft quote unquote <laughs> I know it's a bit of an irksome word but craft um but yeah and um I also believe that people people are books people are like books you know everyone has history trauma as well um experiences and human beings need to be in a tribe or with tribe and connect and i agree with you on the network thing i personally call it connecting connection as well um and i remember i remember the two most important the three weird things or and also good things that happened to me uh during well with the clubhouse thing was I remember connecting with John Charples, like properly, properly, because I saw him on a panel of experts in um, in London like a few years ago. 
Um, but actually like listening to him and like him inviting me onto certain um, clubs. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called now. It's called their houses, homes um, on Clubhouse. And I remember him, John Sharples, connecting me with you as a lady. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember that. And then the other thing that I remember was uh, this members group all about aliens and UFOs. That's pretty much what I remember from, that's my, this is my takeaways from Clubhouse. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, um, three people who inspire you uh, or who you look up to. I know you've already mentioned one, if you'd like to talk about. Okay, but before I do that, I just, I wanna tie. I wanna yeah, tie please do. With, some, with my favorite saying, which is so important and I can't believe I didn't say it. But my favorite saying is luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Yes. Luck, preparation meets opportunity, right? I'm so sick and tired of people saying, yep. this person is so lucky because look at where they are now. Yeah. They're there not because they're lucky. They're there because they prepared. They're there because they are working. You didn't see the work that they were doing for 10, 15, 20 years that led to them to the point where they're now represented by Hauser and Work or yeah. they are, they've got a golden lion <laughs> or yeah. they've got the Turner Prize. You didn't see the work. Right. They didn't appear. Just because they just appeared on your radar just now doesn't mean exactly. they just appeared. Luck, preparation mm -hmm. meets opportunity. It's got nothing to do with the stars or whatever. It's got to do with putting in the work. Put Definitely. in, yes, be prepared. So that when that opportunity turns up on your doorstep, and if you're putting in the work, it will, mm -hmm. you're, and you can take it. Mm -hmm. Like, so tomorrow, some gallery could turn up to you tomorrow and say, we want to give you a solo show in Mayfair, yeah. right? If you haven't been putting in the work, if you're not prepared, you're going to have to say no. That could change your life. Absolutely. Again, preach. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel that so much as well. You know, artists, we work our butts off, really. We really do. Um, and it's not about the struggle. I just want to say it's about being prepared 100%. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's your word of wisdom. But anyway, three people who inspire you, <laughs> who you look up to, Adelaide. Three people. Um, okay, so David Hammonds. Yes, I David. love him so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, he's just great. Um, and and do you know something? Yesterday, I was at Sonia Boyce's party to celebrate her Golden Lion. Wow. And Sonia Boyce is just, yeah. She's amazing. She's just amazing. She's a mm -hmm. spectacular human. Um, she's somebody who has been putting in that work since probably before you were born. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and she's where she is now because of all that, that work that she's put in. And she's a mum. There you go. Yes, um, she's a mum, she's a woman, she's black. She just represented Britain at the Venice Biennale. First black woman to do so. Um, and yeah, I, so I, she's, and she remains humble and kind 
um, and just a, a beautiful human being. Um, yeah, and so it was a it was a real honor to be there to celebrate her and her daughter's birthday. Actually, um, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah, it was a gorgeous intergenerational party. Um, so Sonia Boyce, uh, David Hammonds, and and actually my friend, one of my closest friends, uh, mm -hmm. Jasmine. Jasmine. Um, Parasito, who is, yes, Italian, um, and, also, <laughs> and also a mum, and also a physicist and an artist. She's a PhD. Um, she's very passionate about what we're doing to Mother Earth, mm. and she displays that through making art with impact, and art that actually is making a tangible difference in that. It's not just about conversation and about raising consciousness. It's physically making changes to the environment by sucking out the damaging nitrous oxide from the environment, which causes um, damage to the human body. Um, and, and, and trying to get installations and things in, in and around uh, the, um, London and, and the wider country and hopefully the rest of the world. But yeah, somebody who, um, really deserves her flowers and um, and aside from her being my sister friend I really do look up to her and adore her. Wow well Adelaide I am I have huge respect for you and your work and mm -hmm. I'm I'm so glad that you came to Hypey and um, shared your wisdom your story um, your beauty your beauty from within and without and your representation, your leadership as well, your hard work, let's be honest. Um, I can't wait to party with you at some point. <laughs> I'm in the UK, by the way. I'm not going to the US at the moment. I've postponed, so I'm in the UK. I can go to France. I can do Europe. So you just let me know. Okay. I'd love to party. Um, thank you so much and hopefully see you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been the real Thanks, Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Bye for now. Bye.